Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Hello, Montana. How should the state of Montana conduct football this season at the college level? Coulter's got an idea. And the passing of the great Don Shula. It is to tell new on is one or two nine ESPN radio outstanding to be with you on a Monday afternoon. Hope you are having a fantastic day. Thanks for being with us on your radios or on your World Wide web. 1029ESPN.com. You can listen live there all the time on the stream. The stream is available whenever you need it. Listening live all the time. 1029ESPN.com. Thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. If you'd like to call, you can do that too. 361-3688. All guests join us via the Rangage Brothers RV phone line. Plenty to get to in the show today. Coming out of a weekend, Coulter. Episodes 5 and 6 of The Last Dance. Andy Dalton finding a new team. Cam Newton not finding a new team. We'll talk about that and maybe the reasons why. I think I've figured it out, by the way. I think I've cracked the code there. And yes, the news this morning. Uh, sad, although you know, understandable. Don, uh, Don Shula passing away at the age of 90 this morning. The great Hall of Fame uh, head coach, which I had not realized again, going, going back to the all-time winningest coach in the history of the NFL. Really remarkable. So, uh, uh, a a very, very long and uh, well-lived life by Coach Shula, who is uh, one of the one of the originators of, of professional football, certainly. So we will get into uh, all of that stuff as well. Also, gonna, like I said, we're going to talk some quarterbacks, going to talk some uh, last dance and talk some Big Sky Conference. Well, shouldn't say that. Some Montana, state of Montana football stuff. Coulter, how you doing over there, my man? Good. How's the lake? Lake was great. 
Uh, the kids uh, found a mud hole to jump into. Saw that. And uh, enjoyed themselves very much. I stayed out of it. I did do a little bit of, uh, well, we had a tree removal. You know, you get one of those dangerous trees that's kind of leaning over the, the, the place and that kind of thing. Yep. So uh, my father, bless him, all 69 years old, strapped on the saw, strapped on the spikes, climbs up 45 feet in this thing. Cuts it off at the halfway mark. I got to pull, you know, I'm pulling the thing so it goes the right direction, but it's really mostly in the cutting and how you do it. He got it just right. We got it down over the course of two days, and I'm very sore. I did a little bit of chopping, a little bit of lifting, and I feel like I've been run over, you know? Indeed. That quarantine life has not been good for me. (laughs) Yeah, manual labor always makes you more sore than you ever think it will, though. That's true. I mean, it's, it is different to just go to the gym and like pumping out reps, right? Because you're yeah. just, it's all the different movements and the things and the work isn't the workout. The work is the work. And then, you know, whatever that means for your quads, <laughs> I don't know. Is that one of them? Is that one of the I mean, groups of muscles? The quads? Pretty much all I need to do, right? All you got to do is like your old man. Has he ever yeah. been to the gym in his life? Well, he has, but yeah, you're Not right. Not really. Yeah, he's just his, strapped his from gym just, is the world. Yeah, that's right, just yeah. uh, lifting trees. Yeah, lifting trees, riding the bike, doing the thing. So uh, anyway, yeah, that was my weekend. It was a very good weekend, all things considered. Uh, and, uh, you know, happy to be happy to be back here with you. Though. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I Do you want to talk about your birthday yet, or do you want to wait? <laughs> no, we can wait till tomorrow. Okay. Well, it's not even tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yeah, my birthday's tomorrow. It's a good day, Mile. Is today the fourth? May the fourth be with you. I thought today was Didn't the third. You, you. This is why you're so amazing. Because no human that works in media could stay off of the internet long enough to not be infuriated by all the stupid "May the fourth be with you" memes. Yeah, right. Except you. Everyone knew it was May the fourth today, just because of how monotonous everybody's repetitive posting of pointless things are. Tommy, are you into this, this, the Star Wars deal, the May the 4th thing? Can you hear me? Uh, barely. Yes. Um, I have never watched Star Wars. You never watched Star Wars? So, I mean, I get... You've never seen Star Wars? No, so I don't really know what it means. <laughs> I, 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 I gotta tell you, <laughs> I've, I've watched the original Star Wars, like the first one, uh, fully... And I watched the first new one, which everybody says, oh, that was a terrible one, whatever, whatever, when it first came out. I've never watched the original trilogy in whole, in, in full. And so I am I commiserate with you on this, Tommy, on that. Now, I have a good friend of mine who is very much into Star Wars. And I said, listen, listen to me, man. Like, just help me, okay? What What's going on? The Mandalorian, the, the, the prequels, the sequels, the, the pre- trilogies or the post like you know what's going on he goes here's the deal these are the this is the canon of star wars these are the ones that are real that everybody buys but then there's these offshoots that are sort of like different worlds they're the same world but they're different stories within the worlds and so i said well that's uh, thank you you've helped me out very much i haven't conveyed it very well i did see an ad on the disney plus deal for the may the fourth thing but this makes sense man i i honestly man I really thought today was the third, so I thought we were shooting for Wednesday for the Cinco de Mayo Mm-mm. thing, so this is good to know that it's, in fact, tomorrow. That's right. Now, so that means that today is the day that some 
establishments around town, restaurants, bars, and so forth are going to be opening it. up to like half capacity and yep. stuff like that. Yep. You got it. So do you have like what are you what is your plan? Are you just jumping in with both feet on this thing or are you gonna try and like pump the brakes a little bit? I realize it is your birthday. Uh I don't know. I don't really have that big of a desire to go to a bar at this exact moment. Yeah. I mean it's so beautiful outside. I mean, yeah, I mean I <laughs> it's very nice out. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe don't don't you know do something else, and then you know maybe uh, you know do have some people six feet away from me at your house or something like That's that. That's right. That's right. Okay, uh, Coulter, what do you want to start with today? Your idea about yeah, football yeah. in the state of Montana? I so, like this. I just really been thinking about this, and again, I don't, I don't ever want to. Hmm. I really just don't know if the general public grasps how big of a deal college football is to the economy of this country, but more importantly, the economy of college towns like Missoula and Bozeman. And so I think that it's very clear to people in Montana how popular Grizz and Bobcat football is, obviously. I mean, yeah. tens of thousands of people come out in full force. But I think the removal of those communal gatherings, which is likely the responsible thing to do, I think gathering with 50,000 people in a little one square mile radius is not the greatest of ideas at this exact moment. We'll see who knows what's going to be happening in September. That is months away. Who knows what the summer does to the COVID pandemic. We'll see. But regardless, I just think it will be so catastrophic economically for our communities. If there isn't college football, when we had our zoom call with Mike Petrino and Kent Haslam, Ken Haslam, the athletic director of Montana, opened up for a couple questions after we got done talking Lady Grizz basketball. One of the questions was just about college football, and he, he basically made the comment of, we really don't have any idea what's going to happen. No one can predict the future. Because it's so uncertain, there's been all sorts of ideas that have been floated around, but none that really have been considered because we don't know what we can consider. We've talked about the fascinating element of the Big Sky Conference being you know, a 13-team league that has eight different states represented three different time zones yeah it's i guess now that north dakota is not in it there's not three different time zones anymore two. but still the the geographic landscape of the big sky is is the largest geographic landscape in the country right, right. yep no, no, i don't think it's close actually. and so then that makes it even more muddy because if everything is going well in montana which by all accounts right now it is and i think montanans should be incredibly proud to be montanans just as I always would say. In general. That. In yeah. general, but this has been a great display of, of us coming together and working together. How are you going to let a team from Portland come to Montana? How are you going to let a team from, from Flagstaff, Arizona? We just don't know. We don't know. But I think there needs to be some solutions in case the worst-case scenario comes true. So I was thinking, I mean, so Bill Speltz in Missouri, and he had a column on Sunday with some quotes from Kent Haslam. They're actually a one-on-one -on -one interview. It wasn't from the Zoom uh, Bill attributed it yeah. to said St. Haslam told the Missoulian. But Kent made sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke in that article that said, you know, I halfway suggested maybe we should play Cat Grizz every single weekend of the year. Times. Now that's sort of pointless because I think it would really – I think it would make the rivalry lose a little bit of its luster just for the, that exact moment in time. One of the greatest parts about the rivalry is that it's like this ultimate – finality to the regular season there's all this build up towards it no matter how each team season goes yeah. the narrative is always building towards that last game doing it 11 times i mean that just become glorified scrimmages and then i also don't know where that fit into 
league standings or anything like that. And again, this idea is just a complete extrapolation that has nothing to do with fitting into the model of the Big Sky Conference or fitting into the model of the NCAA or the FCS or any of that stuff. Because I just I don't know how you get on the same page with. It's going to have to take 250 schools to be on the same page to have college football. I don't really know how that happens. But if we are all good in Montana, what if we were just to continue to? What if we had a college football season that was just an anomaly, one that was not part of the record books? It was not for anything but just in-state pride and the production of revenue. What if? I mean, right now in Montana, there's five Frontier Conference teams, and there's two Big Sky Conference teams. Obviously, the Cats and the Grizz would have enormous advantages over teams like Montana Tech and Carroll College and all, and all that. But you still have community gatherings where you could produce revenue. I think you could figure out ways to make money off of it from TV perspective, from a ticket perspective, and it could really help soften the price of the gate. Now, is this actually a realistic thing that's even being considered? I don't think so, and I don't think it will be. I was just thinking to myself, how could we just get even just 10 football games that happen, five each in Missoula and Bozeman, to help curb the economic impact. Because as we know, a Grizz football game in Missoula, I mean, it's not just the ticket sales of the University of Montana, right? It's everybody in town, whether it's the breakfast places or the liquor stores, the beer stores, the vegetable, everything. everything. I mean, everybody makes a little extra money because people are out and about, have a good time, loving, you know, fall Saturdays in Missoula. And so I just, I wonder how we can curb it but I just got to thinking, if Montana was in the clear, what if we just had football games between the football programs in Montana? But now, you are you saying that they would all be either in Missoula or Bozeman, or are you saying that there would be games in Butte, in Helena, and so on? Well, that, I think you just got to figure out a way to have the two D1 teams have at least five home games because of the, the local economic impact of it. But, I mean, it's a local economic impact it abso- for all it, it absolutely is, but I don't think it's catastrophic. I do think it would be catastrophic to the Montana economy to not have Grizz and Bobcat football. Mm. I think it would be a huge deal. It would take millions of dollars out. It is an economic engine, Carroll College and, and Helena and, and Montana Tech and Butte. But I don't think you're, like, you're losing a, a much smaller final dollar amount yeah. if there's no home games in Butte. Right, right. right. But... You could make a really good dollar amount if the Grizz played at Bob Green Field, right? Sure. I mean, you probably have 10,000 people there. Yeah. yeah. And that could be a huge economic boom for a town like Butte or a town like... I mean, imagine if the Cats went and played in Haver. Right. But the biggest deal that happened in Haver in a long time, besides, no, no. you know, Mark Marietta scoring touchdowns. So, uh, I don't know. I, I just I wonder if there's a way that we could do it because I, I really think that the fallout is what I'm so worried about about all this. The circumstances are what they are, and I think we've done a great job coming together. I just worry about the fallout so much of then what could become if we really do have local, statewide, or regional economies crash. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's certainly an open question about like the way that all of this ends up impacting and how and what and so on. Um, you know, it's 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 a huge economic generator, but also you know the money that's spent on. You know, Montana State and Montana football is is obvious and it's seen, but it's also spent by individuals who the way the economy crashes is the individuals don't have the money or refuse to spend it. Right. Whereas now, you know, maybe that ends up getting redirected in other ways. So it's not just a full it's not like, you know, twenty million dollars to zero, but there's certainly it's a major it's a major loss uh economically if that is not to happen. The thing I wonder too though is it also still presumes that you're able to have, 
you know, a stadium full of people or at least partially full of state uh, full of people. I saw a proposal today about the hard rock stadium in Miami where the dolphins play football and where, where the U where the hurricanes play having a, both an, an, uh, an entrance and an egress, an entrance and an exit of fans that would be social, socially distant compliant, but also caps the number of people that are in the stadium at 15,000. That's a 65,000 person stadium. Right. And you order food and drinks from your chair. So there's yeah. not lines yeah. At, yeah. The, at the deal. I don't know how you do the bathroom thing. See, that's, that's, those are the, these are the issues though, that places like Washington Grizzly stadium were, are going to have. And that the university of Montana are going to have though, because first of all, you don't have the infrastructure like a school like Miami does. Second of all, to have 15,000 people in a stadium for Miami, that's just extra revenue because they're already going to make a bunch of money off the game being on TV. Montana needs the gate. That's the thing I'm so curious about is they're going to have to have, say they do have football in the fall and it's a half-capacity stadium. I just really want to know what the numbers are like in terms of the actual accounting of it all, right? Because it costs a, a large amount of money to put on a football game. That's right. Hundreds of people are working there. So is it worth it? Does Montana profit if they have 13,000 people in the stadium? I don't know. Whereas Miami, it's just adding to the profit because they're already profiting off of having the game because it's on television. No question. You're absolutely right. But I guess that's my point is like, you know, is it in a 26,000, 25, 26,000 person stadium in Missoula, a 20,000, 18, 20,000 person stadium in Bozeman? If you're talking about those sort, like the percentage is is less than a quarter. It's about 20% of capacity, it sounds like, is what sure. they're, they're just sort of, they're game planning for potentially in Miami. So to your point, does 5,000, 6,000 people in Missoula, four, 5,000 people in Bozeman equate to financial viability? And I don't know the answer to that question because you're right, it does cost, like, let's put it like this. If it's a game where there's zero fans, that it is an absolute net loss to play football, financially speaking, for the schools. Exactly. And so... And that's the balancing act they have to get to, right? Is how many fans do we have to have to make it worth it? But if it's not safe to have those fans, then how can we cut losses, so to speak? Do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, because there is a point where, like you're saying, having no fans, that's not happening. But also... If you have 8,000 fans, but then it's a public health concern, that's also not worth it. Totally, because the, the the other side of an economic crash, like it's easy to say, well, if there's no football, this is what you lose. Also, if you have an, a, you know, a virus outbreak, is a major economic, I mean, that kills everything, right, at that point in, in, in when you talk about the economy. Because once again, everything comes to a screeching halt, not just football, but business and industry and everything in general, which we've already experienced to a significant extent. And so, you know, it's, it is all trying to understand, you know, where, where are we at with the whole thing and what are the, what are the risk factors and trying to evaluate that stuff is, I, I, I would go somewhere between very difficult and impossible. I mean, it's it's really, really hard to get good, secure numbers, which, again, comes back to, you know, hopefully we're at a maybe a testing situation come, you know, mid-late summer where it's easy and effective to have, you know, regular tests given out to, to you know, 
everybody hopefully you know i i don't know I, it would be it would be nice and that would kind of be the ideal uh where we end up with all that is is anybody's guess certainly not mine i just thought of this not because i think it's any sort of realistic i don't really think it actually is i just think that in a funny sort of way I just think that so many Montanans would come out to watch this. Such a kick. I mean, even if Montana Western came to Bozeman and got whipped sixty-three to seven, people would just still come. And people sure. from Dillon would be happy to be there. I mean, how many people from from Dillon would come to watch the Bulldogs and then watch Troy Anderson too? Yeah, the whole dang town would come. Oh, for sure. No, you, it's, <laughs> like if it was just like, hey, Montana is good. None of the other states in the conference right. are good. What do you want to do here? I think it's interesting. I, I mean, you can't really do a deal where. You know, it'd be interesting if you had almost like seven teams that, and there was like a draft or something like that, right? And, See, and, and so you could have more. That's where it, get, that's where it gets really like complicated. But that would be awesome. That would be fun. And it but, would. But then you, I mean, these are kids who've been playing together, who've been game playing. I mean, that's not that's not even. I don't think really possible to do. It's not. It's not really no, feasible. No, it, it, but it's it would not. be. It it's would be not. interesting, right, to see all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of guys from com- competing teams on the same team for one Montana seven team season. I mean it would be I think they're I you know, you know, it's it's a fun thought to think about in any case, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no doubt. It's two tell nuanas, one oh two nine ESPN radio. Take a quick break. On the other side, Don Shula, one of the great coaches in the history of the NFL, passed away today at the age of ninety. We'll take a look back uh, at his career, some of the accomplishments and why he is absolutely Probably the original goat next. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Shula passed away this morning at the age of 90. The winningest coach in the history of the NFL to this very day. Two Tell New Honors, 1029 ESPN Radio. We're happy to be with all of you out here on a Monday afternoon. I hope you're having a wonderful day. And we are uh, also available on Twitter at Gus Tutel at 1029 ESPN and at Skyline Sports MT if you're looking for us. Coulter, uh, always, of course, you know, sad when, when somebody passes. And in our world, in the world of sports, Don Shula dying today at the age of 90. But at the age of 90, you know, that's pretty good. A great run and uh, an unbelievable life and life as a, a person and also as a, a head football coach in the NFL. And not having been in the league now for 25 seasons, 25 years since he retired in 1995, you know, you and I were both, you know, alive and, uh, of you know, aware of when Shula was actually there doing it and coaching. And I, I, and I even remember, you know, uh, quite a bit of Dan Marino and those great Miami Dolphins teams and the teams that he coached and all that. But 
to you know you, it's these moments where you go back and you look and you go wow my goodness gracious i mean are you kidding me from that was it 1963 or 67 1963 to 1995 incredible and 26 years and i just did not realize that he got and coached in five super bowls five of them six of them you sure yes Don Shula coached in six Super Bowls. We'll go back. We'll go back. We will research. We'll find out. But in any case, uh, one, by the way, back-to-back Super Bowls in eight and uh, in seven and eight, excuse me. And this is the thing that I love. Did you realize this? Because everybody knows about the 72 Dolphins and the fact that they ran the table. They're the only undefeated team in history and all that. And we know about the champagne popping that happens every time the last undefeated team finally does lose their game, even mm-hmm. if it is the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But what one thing that I like that I don't know if if everybody's put this together, but the '85 Bears were 12 and 0, were absolutely unbeatable, were rolling to a Super Bowl. They lost the 13th game of the season to the Don Shula-led Miami Dolphins, yep. and it was the Dolphins themselves who put the stop on the undefeated season of what was then a one-loss Super Bowl win for you know the dominant team probably of the '80s in that in that Bears team. So tip of the cap, not making other people do your dirty work, but doing it yourself and making sure that you stay alone atop the undefeated, uh, you know, uh, uh, scales of power or whatever it is. I believe that the uh, the Super Bowl that you were missing is w- from when he was the head coach of the uh, Baltimore Colts. Okay, so one with the Colts, Colts five yeah, so, with the, the, so the Dolphins. People forget that he was with the Baltimore Colts, the Johnny Unitas yeah. Baltimore Colts uh, from 1963 to 1969. Lost in the NFL championship game in 1964. That was a couple years shy of the first Super Bowl. And then lost to Joe Namath and the New York Jets mm-hmm. in what was the most iconic Super Bowl for a long time. Right. Also, people forget that they bookended. I mean, the Dolphins went to three straight Super Bowls, 1971, right. 1972, 1973. Seven, yep. eight, and nine. They were in three straight. Won the first two of those. Yep. And then lost to And the then nine. Dan Marino led them. Uh, Don Shula and Dan Marino simultaneously. Mm-hmm. To two Super Bowls, nineteen eighty-two they lost the Redskins, and nineteen eighty-four they lost the San Francisco 49ers. Don Shula had twenty-three ten-win or more seasons, thirty-one winning seasons in thirty-three years, only two losing campaigns in his entire career. It's amazing. The U, the the Miami, the Hurricanes. Yeah, people remember them so much because they were such a cultural phenomenon. And people think of Miami right now as more of a college football town than the, because of the Orange Bowl. But Shula I was, so. I mean, I don't know. It's because the Dolphins have been so mediocre since yeah. Dan Marino retired. And since John Shula retired, honestly. It, it, it's so, it's Shula and Marino. I say and then, that because Shula and Marino are these, you know, the, the, the just picture of consistency with one organization over all these years and years of, of, of outstanding play. And then they're both gone. And then all of a sudden, you know, what, what's the stat that you always see? Well, this is the 32nd starting quarterback since Dan Marino retired. And I don't know what coach they're on right now with coach fours, but I mean, there's been, it's been a revolving door at head coach since Don Shula, basically, you know, who's the, who's the next best Dolphins head coach is not even worth talking about it's Shula and then it's just kind of nobody so I think it's it, it is remarkable how those two go hand in hand and of course he predates uh, uh Dan Marino by by two decades mm-hmm. and 15 years in Miami so he's got you know the long history and, and Miami releasing a statement today saying you know Shula is the patriarch of the Miami Dolphin 
you know, organization and football, and it's absolutely true. I mean, he is he's the guy who who went and did it there for so long. And then a different day, too. I mean, coaches will stick around in certain scenarios. We've seen it with Tomlin, and we've seen it with, with uh, you know, obviously Bill Belichick. Andy Reid has only now been with two teams in his whole career. But the movement of coaching, both in terms of just having a job or not, or going from franchise one franchise to another, is, is so much uh, more prevalent than it was. But nonetheless, 33 years with only two franchises and 26 at the same one, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we'll see that with Bill Belichick. He's 20 years in at least. I mean, maybe more. He's actually a couple maybe more years than that with the Patriots. But he's the exception, not the rule in the NFL. Certainly. And, and I mean, we saw it with Bill Cowher. We're kind of seeing it with Mike Tomlin. But but those are relatively rare things. Bill Belichick, you're right, Was it, it was his, this would be his 20th season upcoming here uh, in the NFL. But I, I, one thing that I – dwell on and ponder often in my life is um, what it is to be remembered and how great your life can be and then still how your memory sometimes fades. And I think that the, the greatest of great humans, their memories last, they, they echo certainly, but uh, so much of, of analyzing pro sports coaches is just the explosion of television, right? I mean, Hardly anybody remembers Lenny Wilkins or Dr. Jack Ramsey in the NBA, even though those guys were phenomenal NBA coaches because they just really weren't on TV. The NBA wasn't really on TV. We have so much reverence for a lot of old school guys like Vince Lombardi, particularly because of NFL films. George Hallis got a lot of run on NFL films. Tom Landry, certainly, and Don Shula. But I, I wonder a lot of times, you know, the guys like that have been really great more recently, Bill Parcells, Joe Gibbs. Um, Bill Walsh, those guys get a lot more pub, even though Landry and Shula were so amazing. Right, right. And so I just, I, I, that, it's an influential part of it too. But then I, I so I have a, a two part question for you. Okay. First of all, I mean, Don Shula's resume is, is as good as it gets six Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl rings, only undefeated team in NFL history. Well, and, and the thing, 328 wins. Well, and that's regular season, 347 wins overall. Against only 170, it's not like he was 347 and 300, you know, which you would have to coach 50 years to get to that number. But he he's winning at like a two to one clip for 33 years. I mean, that's that's remarkable, not just in the total number and the duration, but in in the percentage that you're talking about. So yes, okay. So I mean, his resume is undeniable. But, but yes. two part question: first of all, where do you think he ranks in NFL history well, as a head coach? I mean. He he is to to me. If you're talking about the era that he occupies, it's him and Landry, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the list. And then you had a good list of guys that are sort of the the when you talk about Chuck Knoll and and especially uh, well, you know, Joe Gibbs, Marv Levy in there as well. Um, but uh, who's the 49ers coach? Sorry, I'm Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh to me is sort of like almost the second coming or even the the co-coming of Don Shula in a lot of ways on the West Coast side of it. So I put him there. This is a little bit, it's sort of era specific. I mean, he covered such a long time. He went from Mm -hmm. what you can call antiquity professional football to modern football. I mean, he coached in the modern era of NFL football in the 90s. And I I also think that Don Shula... 
And this is this is where this is why I said this about Justin Herbert, where I said that we would have a higher opinion of Justin Herbert coming into this year's NFL draft if he wouldn't have been a four year starter at Oregon, because mm. yeah, we have so much more to analyze and criticize. Right. Don Shula had, who anybody that's been in the NFL or in NFL circles had the greatest thrower of the football that's ever played the game mm-hmm. in Dan Marino, mm-hmm. the single greatest arm that's ever played quarterback in the NFL. And they went to the Super Bowl twice in Dan Marino's first four years, and they never went back. Yeah. And I think that hurt Don Shula's reputation because it was like, you have the golden boy. So what's wrong with what's you? Are you yeah. the one holding them back? But I just they were they were good. Sometimes it just it takes so right. so much, especially luck, to to get there. But I think like ultimately people are going to say that 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 Bill Belichick is the greatest probably coach in the history of football because of what it is to be a coach now. Uh, and and I think people just believe, and I think rightfully so, that it is a a more laborious, more complex, more demanding thing than it once was. But to to build the building blocks of of what football was and became, which you were there for the whole thing, is 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 so huge as well. But when you talk about you know guys like Parcells, guys like Belichick, you know who you know who Don Shula reminds me the most of. As a head coach today, and that, that's currently doing that's Andy Reid. I mean, Andy Reid's been a head coach for 22, three years. He's been to, you know, some Super Bowls now and now has won one, but he's the guy who's kind of covered the most territory, uh, it seems to me, and he's obviously a Hall of Famer uh, as well. But he's, I, I do think that you have to split it up a little bit by era. I mean, yeah. are you going to compare Bart Starr and Aaron Rodgers? Certainly Packers fans are happy to do that kind of thing. But the, right. at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers is 10 times the quarterback that Bart Starr was. God bless him. You know, because sure. just to, what, what it is. So uh, I but but. 347 wins the most of all time. He's he's probably on he's probably on the Mount Rushmore as they say for head coaches in in, in professional football. The other thing that's interesting is um, I mean first of all a lot of these franchises used to be such institutions like the Cowboys and the Dolphins that there was really never any question that they were going to at least be like a playoff team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean there was a couple the Steelers, the Dolphins and the Cowboys mm-hmm. through the 70s and 80s were just always going to be in the playoffs. That's they were just a playoff team. So there wasn't ever that that dip. The salary cap had not been instituted yet. There wasn't free agency. So when you had the the systematic advantages that they had, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are legendary for their scouting department, right? They had the greatest scouting department, the greatest GM in all of football, and then they had one of the most iconic head coaches in all of football. And so the strong just keep getting stronger. The rich keep getting richer. Right? I mean, I'm looking at, at Tom Landry's Wikipedia page. I mean, there's two seasons between – 1966 and 1985 where they don't win 11 games. Yeah. I mean, they're just churning it out. 11 and 2, 12 and 2, 13 and 1, 12 and 2, 12 right. and, and 2. And that's in a 14-game season, right? Right. Now. And so they're just on and on and on. And so the, I think there was a lot of things that kept some guys that had st- stability in place. I mean, Chuck Nolan really never had to worry about not only the the ebbs and flows of finishes, the way that you finish your records, but it just really wasn't going to ever happen that he was just going to have a 4 and 12. Mm-hmm. That's where I think it's really hard. There's two different eras of coaches too because like Tom Coughlin is one of the great coaches of the modern era, right? Multiple Super Bowl rings with the New York yeah. Giants. Yeah. And got fired completely unceremoniously, right? right? Forced out. Marty Schottenheimer, one of the great coaches in the modern era. Fired twice. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So right so that that's that's my second question then for you is 
what coaches right now in the modern era, so let's call the modern era, some, from when John, Don Shula retired until now, the last 25 years, what guys okay. are in the same breath as you know the, the George Halluses, the Vince Lombardis, the Don Shulas, the Tom Landers of the world? Well, Parcells and Belichick. Absolutely. Especially because Parcells did it for in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, yeah. right? And, and, and on, I mean, probably to me, Andy Reid is in there. Andy Reid, if he would have won one more Super Bowl, he'd absolutely be in there, but he is. I mean, Andy well, Reid. he still may I, well. I think Andy Reid's like fifth in all time wins. I yeah. Mean, no, no. He's, he's he, this, I, this actually might surprise people. Andy Reid only has like 20 less wins than Bill Belichick does. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I get all the way there with Bill Cower, but he's in the conversation. I think to some extent Mike Tomlin is is also in that conversation. So I think those are How about Sean Payton? Oh yeah, yeah. Sean Payton. He's only got the one. Sean Payton's got but so I think Cowher only's got has one. Cowher's got one. Mike Tomlin has two. two Tomlin's got two. Yeah. But I think the other thing though too is like I mean we're not at the end with those guys yet, right? Like I mean we still expect I mean the chart the, 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 the Chiefs and the Saints are going to be two of the best teams in football this season you know and presumably for the foreseeable future one thing though that i am so very interested in and as it pertains to bill belichick because his legacy is is cemented in the same way that tom brady's is cemented now the patriots defense is still so good yes that they're going to be good and i i've been on record already as saying like they're going to win the afc east again and everything else okay but I do find it very, very – it's appealing to me to see what it looks like now, you know? And and without having Tom Brady there and you still got McDaniels in place, okay, that's all well and good. But is Jared Stidham going to be the guy who's going to come in and be your, 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 your quarterback? I mean, is that what you're going to sit there and go with? We're going to talk more about the quarterback situation. But, you know, the one year, right – that Tom Brady went down, Matt Castle came in, and they still won, I think, 11 games in that season. And I expect the 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 Patriots to come out and still be a double-digit winning football team and all that. But there is, there's been something about the talk to me in December and January New England Patriots, which, by the way, kind of went by the wayside this past season, you know, where it was talked to me in September and October, and then all of a sudden it went badly towards the end, which is exactly the opposite of what has happened for them. But I do remember with Matt Castle, it was sort of like, wow, I can't believe they're still winning football games. This is remarkable that they're still winning football games. And part of that is the genius of Bill Belichick, but also what they lost at the very least was the presumption of of being one of the two or three best teams in the conference every single year, or at least in that season. And it turned out that they weren't, you know, they, I don't recall where they, where their season ended, what round of the playoffs or whatever, but they were never really a contender. And I'm wondering if they will really be a contender or not. And that will be a fun thing for me to watch as, a, as, as Bill Belichick goes and the Patriots go, I think this is going to be the most intriguing year for me in a long time for new England for that very reason. But again, that, there's only one way. This is so f- f- weird, right? There's only one way that Belichick's reputation can go to me, and that's actually to get better. Because if he doesn't, really, if he doesn't win now, like first of all, is he going to win four games? No, he's not going to win four games. He's going to win ten games at the minimum. It seems to me. I mean, I like the Bills a lot. What if they just went five and eleven, like three years in a row? You know, if they went five and eleven, three years in a row, then then. Um, 
then this conversation would be very, very different. But if they go 5-11 and 11, three years in a row, I will be flying to the moon. Like, it's it, there's just zero chance that that's going to that, happen. And that's, because, happen. that's because they are basically the lone team left with the institutional advantages like like we were just talking about with, that all the other teams used to have, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think because Belichick's still you, a You want to know what it would, you know, know what would do it? Bill Belichick leaving or Roger Kraft, Robert Kraft dying. Yeah, I mean, because what I mean, what's that? What is what? What did the? I mean, in the modern era, what franchises still had sort of that old school? Our stability is our advantage. The Giants and the Steelers, right? Mm-hmm. And then their owners died, and what happened? Yeah, they both became bad. Uh, but they didn't become. I mean, the the Steelers the, the did not ju- become bad. Well, no, the, you're right. You're right. The, the Steelers are at crossroads right now. They need to decide what they're going to do because they went all in on a style that was not their style, and they it, it didn't go well for them. I mean, they went they went throw the ball. I mean, Red Rossbrew threw for five thousand yards two of the last three years, and they had you know Le'Veon Bell, and they tried to be this offensive team. That's not what Pittsburgh has ever been, and so they're at a crossroads, especially now with Ben Rossberg getting older. But um, let me ask you this: Where's Pete Carroll fit into this? Because Pete Carroll right now, the Seahawks, they're in the when you talk about the relative of this narrative, they're in the infancy of having those systematic advantages, but they're very real. And the fact that they have great ownership, great front office and a coach that's been there with consistent results for a decade. Well, I think that the pay, I think that the Seahawks are going to be a, at the ver, at the worst, a contender and at the best, a Super Bowl champion every year for as long as John Schneider and Pete Carroll run the organization. But Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in, in football. He's older than Bill Belichick, shocking as that may be. Mm-hmm. He he will his career is not going to last long enough, it seems to me for him like if the Seahawks went and won the next 3 Super Bowls, then all of a sudden that changes everything. But again, the same way that the Patriots aren't going 5 and 11 for the next 3 years, the Seahawks aren't winning in the next 3 Super Bowls. I don't expect them to win one of the next three Super Bowls. Uh, but they could, and that's to their credit. They're in that conversation to do it. But, you know, Pete Carroll, you know, if he coaches till he's 70, 72 years old, he'll have like 15 years in with the with the team, and it will be a, as good a 15-year run as, as you could just about match up with anybody. But it's not going to be where you go, okay, well, is he an all-time NFL great head coach? The thing is, is it's between his time at USC and in the league and then going back to his time, you know, when he was with New England and so forth, he he's like he's a football lifer who deserves to be in a Hall of Fame. But I don't know what Hall of Fame it is because it it, well, college football, certainly, because, I mean, that's the argument of transcendence, right? Even if it didn't last for a very long time, those teams are some of the best in college football history. I mean, okay, multiple Heisman Trophy winners. Sure. I mean, I, all, all I'm saying is, I mean, he's been he's been as good as it gets for 25 years, but it's just been in different places and at different levels, which maybe is in a certain way even more remarkable. Two more for you, okay? Mike Holmgren, mm. he's got to be like considered, right? Well, you know, I'm going to say, of course, he's got to be considered. So he's, he's 16th in NFL history with in wins. He's got more wins than guys like Bud Grant, Bill Cowher, Marv Levy, Tony mm. Dungy. Pretty good. Went to two Super Bowls, one one. The other, and then the other guy who I don't know really how this happened. I really don't, because I think about this guy every single Sunday still when I watch the NFL because I think that his concepts are that innovative. 
and that's Mike Shanahan. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike Shanahan perfected the zone blocking scheme that's still used across the league. Like when you watch the Colts, when you watch the Texans, it looks like the Broncos. When you watch the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, no question. No question. I mean, Mike Shanahan deserves credit for being Kyle Shanahan's dad, too. I mean, he, he but right? I mean, Kyle Shanahan's a great young coach, but Kyle Shanahan has way more staying power, way more horsepower than Sean McVay because Mike, Shanahan's Kyle Shanahan's dad, right? Well, I don't. I, think I'm it's not saying he's playing off. I'm not saying he's because he's playing off the coattails. I'm saying because he because he, he got to so it, much. He got to inherit the institutional knowledge that his dad had. But yeah. I mean, with Mike Shanahan, I mean, having three Super Bowl championships, that's and eleventh all time in wins. I mean, he has to be considered one of the great coaches of the modern era, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I think you're probably right. Yeah, it's good. Sutel Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. On the other side, the last dance. What did you think about it yesterday? I thought, best it's been. I'll tell you why right after this. Hey, the Silver Slipper, they are open again, boys and girls, for sit-down service. They've made some changes to comply with the MCHD standards to help keep everyone safe and healthy. The new casino hours are 9 a.m. to 11.30 p.m., uh, and their new bar hours are 11 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. They will be having half capacity. There's plexiglass dividers between Kino machines. There's spaced out tables to allow plenty of room between groups, extra sanitation stations, and disinfectant schedule. They've also removed stools around the bars, again, to con- continue to comply with social distancing. But they are open for business at the Silver Slipper, and they still have the friendliest staff in town, even in the midst of a national crisis. At the Silver Slipper, it's all about great food, tasty beverages, and they're urged to have a good time. Whether you're looking for an affordable family meal or a late-night game of poker, the Silver Slipper has what you're looking for. Online at silverslipperlounge.com for more info. Stop by today. See why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best-kept secrets across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Like Mike. Those are the marching orders, right? It's two tell nuanas, 1029 ESPN radio. Outstanding to be with you on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Beautiful day out there across western Montana. Appreciate you letting us be with you, whatever you're up to today. We appreciate that very much. Coulter, the last dance was on last night. Did you watch them both? Did you get through them both? Uh yes. In fact, uh, well, it was interesting. It's so interesting how, yeah, you know, I've been talking a lot about all the the really the positive things I've tried to take from this quarantine and and the self reflection and and the removing of worshiping false idols from your life and things like that. And uh, but one thing that is is universally agreed upon that has really been too bad is this: the fact that we're lucky. I mean, you, Tommy, and I are all great friends, and we get to be in here together. 
Tommy's still in another room. Oh, oh, but we get we get to see each other all the time. And yeah, so we that's do. like it's like a great thing. And, and and our front desk gal Liz is here. So I get to see like three of my friends every day. And that and that's cool. So I, I feel lucky for that. But also I just haven't gotten to see right. a ton of people. Yeah. And so my roommate, his lady friend, came over last night and I mean I haven't seen her for four months. Yeah. And she got there at seven o'clock. And so I didn't watch any of the first one. We had it on, but I mean, yeah. I was just like, what's going on? I mean, yeah. how's, how you doing? How's life? You know, I have a, chatting away, you know, you're, you're half a year older than the last time I saw you. <laughs> um, so, but then I watched the second episode yep. and then I circled back around and watched the first one. So I kind of watched the first one in passing, second one in full, and then first one again in full. And, uh, Man, I, I I still haven't had that moment where it's just like, man, I didn't know that yet. But I've also just thought it was just incredibly thought-provoking as someone that does know all these stories already. And there's just some parts of this that are... First of all, so many documentaries are made li- in a linear fashion, right? Anybody that's a writer or that's been a journalist, if you're working on a long-form feature, one of the arts of that craft is weaving a non-linear narrative through a story. And if you really can do it, those are the stories that really hit, that give you mm. give your readers the goosebumps. So often the documentary starts with probably the ending and then the beginning through the ending or just the beginning to the end, and that's it. The way that they've edited this thing, where it, it tells the, the whole backstory of the Bulls while then going through the 98 season in little chunks, is brilliant. I think mm. it's so well done. I also just cannot get over Michael Jordan as a character. I mean, he is absolutely the greatest character you could ever have because you couldn't be more cocky than this guy. I mean, he's just taking people apart still 25 years later, just annihilating people with the way he talks and you love him. Not for one second are you like, man, this guy, he's so deplorable. Good thing he was good at basketball, or else we wouldn't have liked him. Yeah. You're like, no, I love you. You're so <laughs> cool. His way of being, though, I mean, wouldn't you agree? His, when you really watch it in retrospect, the, the, just how unique his, his true star power is. Right. Well, and when it's, he, it's, it's unbelievable. When he says, you know, I don't want to say that Clyde Drexler wasn't a threat. But for people to compare him to me, I found that to be an insult. Like, it's just too good to be true. I mean, Clyde Drexler is like a dream team, Hall of Fame type basketball player. And it's like, how dare you even try? He's like, I just knew I was going to go at him because at that time, the way I was playing, it wasn't close. And it's just. And it's true. Like, it's at, it I mean, true. it's absolutely the truth. The showmanship of it, too, right? Yeah. When Michael Jordan basically tells the world, I understand that Clyde Drexler is the second best shooting guard in the world. And then he tells his teammates, this dude got drafted over me. Watch what's about to happen to him. And then a dude who doesn't even shoot threes goes out and just hits six threes in one half. It just kills this guy. He's just cooking Clyde Drexler. But it's amazing to have that sort of internal motivation. Um when you said, you know, you say, well, there's there's not anything in here that I didn't know in terms of the stories and that kind of thing. That's that's fine. And a lot of this is very well documented in terms of some of it. But what this brings to me is and I'm not trying to act like I know it all. No, no, I mean, no. I've just I've just read about this. Uh, so, but, much. but I'm just saying, like, you've never seen because nobody's ever seen Michael Jordan exactly. talking with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson prior to the 98 All-Star game and the actual conversation that's having they're having in the locker room and that kid from LA like not even talking about him by name and all that and and that part was that 
that part was chilling because that was not supposed. I mean, it's obviously supposed to be something that resonates in the documentary, but now the fact that Kobe Bryant passed away, yeah, completely unrelated to this documentary, I thought mm-hmm. that part was chilling. Well, I thought it. I mean, I just thought it was. I thought it was great. I mean, I thought it was. It awesome was. It was. To it see. was great that conversation happened to hear Kobe Bryant himself after the fact. I mean, after his career is over, attribute five championships like these don't happen from me if not for him. Like that's that's, you know, amazing stuff. And when Michael Jordan at Kobe Bryant's eulogy first of all was there, I I I was like, "Oh, wow. Okay." And then for him to talk about him the way he did, both with the emotion that he spoke with him about, and then you know talking to talking about him as you know my little brother and so forth and so on. And sometimes I feel like that gets used maybe a little bit uh, loosely at times, depending on the context of people talking about. You know, it's a good way for the older generation to continue to be a little bit one upsman. But Kobe Bryant himself referring to Michael as the big brother. And what you know in their relationship and so forth and so on. I thought it was uh, such so full circle to me. No question. That was one of the the deepest thoughts I've had about this whole thing. We've talked extensively over the last three weeks about how important internal motivation is and where you can gain internal motivation from. And Michael Jordan was the absolute greatest at it. It's actually probably not healthy to be like he was. No. <laughs> I mean, where he no. goes down the media aisle and says, we took care of you. Yeah. We took care of you. You're next. Yeah. I mean, just reading everything, using it all for ammo, using the Clyde Drexler thing to just cook this guy. That I, I, I think that's important, though, to, to fail or to overcome or to stay motivated, just like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman all did to a certain extent, right? But I was thinking about the Kobe Bryant because Kobe was so internally motivated too. Mm-hmm. But this is what I think sets him apart from every other player in NBA history is that there was a defined idol for Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant made the conscious decision to not try to be me, to not try to be the best version of me. I am going to be the next Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I am going to be better than Jordan. To take that on and use that as your motivation. To call this guy and study this guy and learn this guy and say, I am going to replicate you. There's no other example of it in pro sports. And the fact that he didn't quite get there, I don't think that means his legacy whatsoever because no. he had the courage to go after it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, the thing that I've thought about because... A lot of times, and I think rightfully so, people have talked about Jordan, Kobe, and so forth uh, in terms of artistry and what they, the painting that was the game of basketball and the painter that was Michael Jordan. And I think it's so apt, not just as a metaphor, but also in the following respect, not, not 100%, but the overwhelming majority of great artists have been the most tortured souls among us, whether that's no been the, the painters or the musicians or the whatever the writers, might be. no question. And no question. And I worry about this with this omnipresent en- entertainment now because so much of when you're tortured, you need that's why your creative outlet beco- comes out of you so much. Yeah. And if you can just watch Netflix, I think it just dulls it. If you you have to be bored to go crazy, right? And it's like the great Russian authors, those guys were Straight up, like living in poverty and famine, and 
Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I'm so not worried about it. I think it's just a new world, but the 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 the, the genius that is those. I mean. You don't get to be a genius in virtue of being tortured. I guess there's plenty of tortured sure. people who just, you know. Sure. And I use that. And, and, that's and, and, probably too strong a word in some senses. All, all I'm saying but, is that I just really think that it's, I think it's really essential for a human to be bored. That's right. I mean, you are, you because become then you creative. Can you can fu- if you, you get locked do? inside your own mind, a yeah. lot of times the only way you can get unlocked from your own mind. Yeah. I mean, think of the Jordan parallel. Imagine if Michael Jordan didn't have basketball as an outlet. What he would have been acting like with the way that he is to other people. It would have yeah. been... It would have been very, very, very unhealthy. Maybe Steve Jobs, you know? <laughs> but the all I'm saying is that I don't think usually that that is carried all the way into the sports world, but I think that it is to some extent. Like, they're not necessarily expressing their philosophy about the state of affairs in the universe when they're playing sports but the maniacal never satisfied insatiable desire in in jordan's case to beat you in kobe's case to be jordan in you know peyton manning's case to be perfect in tom brady's case to win champions like all of these things it's the same thing that makes them great also makes them never satisfied to some extent. And, you know, we 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 talk about the transition from playing to not playing anymore and how, how big a struggle it is for so many guys. And, and the reason is, is because there is it's not just about, oh, well, I don't have the competition or I don't have the guys around the locker room. I mean, for some guys it is. And if it's just that, then you can overcome it. But if the thing is like every day I was never like it was never enough for me even in the doing it when it's when then it's over it's like oh my goodness but the other thing too that stood out to me so much from last night mm-hmm. i thought they did a superb job superb job of framing up you want to be like mike here's what a day being michael jordan is like and i actually felt like a certain amount of claustrophobia watching the hordes and throngs of media and people and oh. people that you need to have around and people that are just coming around and you're walking to the no to the question. bus and from the time you leave the hotel till the time you come back that this is the world that you occupy period end of story every single day of your life no thank you and you know for as great and wonderful as it is to you know be the fame and the money and whatever it is it's just it's just galling to imagine having that thrust upon you and obviously it happened incrementally it wasn't like one day anonymity and the next day you know can't go to the bathroom by himself but to to see that the way that it was it's i mean how do how people deal with that uh you know i just have to leave missoula if i'm in missoula it's like that but when i get out of town it kind of fades away a little bit and and i I will i'll go back to the thing that i said the very first after the very first episode when we were analyzing this. And that is that Michael Jordan's greatest gift, it's not his magnetism, even though that is second to none. It's not his athleticism, even though that's second to none. It's not his drive, work ethic, or competition. It is his own personal self-centered discipline to not crumble under the fame. Yeah. Because if you look at everyone else from that time period that was experiencing similar levels of fame, and there's only a handful of them, they disintegrated into dust or became the greatest train wrecks we've ever seen. I mean, Mike Tyson and Mike Michael Jordan's parallels. Mike Tyson was on top of the world until all of a sudden 
He's doing every drug. He's not training. He's getting knocked out by a guy who was a 48-1 to underdog to beat him. Michael Jackson. You know, I mean, he goes from the king of pop to who knows what he became. You know, and credit to Mike Tyson for getting back on it a little bit now. But, I mean, you look at some of the other peers and the way that they fell into specifically drug abuse but also depression. I mean, Prince, Whitney Houston. It's not good. Yeah. And Michael Jordan navigated those waters flawlessly yeah he did and uh, i thought andrea kramer's line was so good because they had they had the the iconic be like mike commercial or i want to be like mike and she said it was the biggest curse because it's impossible to be like that 24 hours a day if you're a human and at the end of the day he's a human and yeah I, 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 this, this thing is, is incredibly well done and I can't wait, wait to see where they take it. Well, I will say I've I've been anticipating getting to this point, uh, in here and, and last night was where it really took a turn for me into like the next level. Uh, I'm so pumped up about it. And I also, I mean, this also sets the stage for him now going into baseball, you know, is going to be kind of the next thing. This did such a job. Now I, you know, I don't know about all the orchestration of it. We know that Michael Jordan is very much, but if you're going to ask me if, if it was plausible for him to leave basketball for no other reason than he just wanted to get out of it and go play baseball, I would have said no. And then after I watched last night, I would probably say yes. Like, it makes sense to me where, like, I, I'm i not going to do this totally. anymore, which he said to Ahmad Rashad in the car in the interview, right. is this your last season? I don't know. Maybe. I, for, I forgot about the 20-day media silence that he did. Right. One more point. Yeah. And I, I think that. The gambling part is such a fascinating part of this because I think that there's all these, I don't even know, bad connotations when it comes to gambling. A lot of those are well-founded, certainly. but And also much stronger then than now. Yes. Like the gambling at that time, like that was right. one we can't let people know totally. that this is going on, even if it's all above board and just on the golf course or whatever. Totally. But I thought what David Stern said, he said, first of all, I had people watching Michael Jordan at all times, and I know for a fact he was never gambling on basketball. Secondly, they showed him like playing dice in the locker room with the security guys, right? Throwing for a twenty dollar bill. That's like me and you playing with half a penny when you're Michael Jordan. I mean, he less than that. Oh, but, but that that's the thing is like when he's talking about losing twenty thousand dollars on the golf course at this exact moment in time, he's making fifty five million dollars a year yeah. for from Nike and Gatorade. So I just did the math. I mean, the dude's making. $14,000 an hour. Right. That's just like a normal guy being like, hey, man, you want to bet 20 bucks on golf today? I mean, it's, it's, we all do it. We all gamble and bet. I mean, you and I have bet on this show for years. So I just thought it was, it was, I just thought that that part being brought out because it was, they wanted it to be so taboo. I thought, I just, I thought that part was like overkill, not on the documentary part. Yeah. I just, I mean, in, in real general. time, I thought it was overkill for people to be scrutinizing him so much. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, obviously, you know, I've heard even low. Wasn't there something about like, okay, there's you wrote a check for $1.2 million to absolve a gambling debt or something like that. Sure. I, I, I don't know. Sure. The point is, though. I mean, I, I've lost 1000 bucks in Vegas when I had 1000 bucks to my name. So it's uh, <laughs> way worse. It's way worse. But here's the thing. All I'm saying is this. The gambling for Michael Jordan is just another itch-scratching affair. Exactly. It's not. It's not. Winning? I mean, it, it is winning, but it's about having the opportunity to win. They, they, why do Why do you want to play me for a dollar, Mike? Because I want your money in my pocket. Exactly. That's the uh, That's what he said, right? Exactly. To B.J. Armstrong or Will Purdue or whoever. Exactly. Now you know. It's Tutel and Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio.
our number one in the books, our two straight ahead. NFL quarterbacks, some have been picked up. We don't really know why. I've found a trend that I'm going to show to you, and I hope that, uh, well, it makes sense. And also, why not Cam Newton? I'll tell you why on that as well right after this. Hey, the Silver Slipper boys and girls, they're open again for sit-down service. They've made some changes to comply with MCHD standards to help keep everyone safe and healthy. New hours are 9 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. for the casino and 11 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. for the bar. They are open half capacity, half capacity. Plexiglass dividers are between the keto machines. Spaced out tables are going to allow for plenty of room between groups. Extra sanitization stations as well as disinfecting schedule. And they are removing stools uh, from around the bars to make sure you continue to keep the uh, six feet or more of social distancing when you're at the establishment. Still, though, have the friendliest staff in town, even in the midst of a national crisis. At the Silver Slippers, it's always about good food, tasty beverages, and their urge to have a good time. So whether you're looking for an affordable family meal or a late-night game of poker, the Silver Slipper has what you're looking for. Visit thesilverslipperlounge.com for more info and stop by today to see why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best-kept secrets across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear... How about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus. <laughs> 